All right, folks, welcome back to another glorious, glorious, marvelous, fantastic, um, worth putting your life on the line to listen to and watch podcast, the Boombasticast. Hope everybody's well. You got myself, Machu, and you have Alexander the Great over there, the original Alexander the Great. Yes, I am the Alexander the Great you heard about. If I could, if I could give everything I ever had in happiness just for one day to be Alexander Hawk, I might actually give that over. I, I wouldn't yeah. say definitely that I'd do that yet, but I would say that I'd have to negotiate with myself for a while to see if I uh, if that's a realm that I want to trade it all for. But uh, today's episode, you know, we want to dip into some fun stuff. Uh, we want to st- talk a little bit about some of these uh, these Hollywood extravaganza films that, you know, they, they're made for gigantically huge sums of money. But unfortunately, when the day comes to show off their, their goods, the public don't really want to see it. You know what I mean? Uh, at least they show that within their numbers uh, at box office attendance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, with that being said, that doesn't exactly mean that these movies are bad films, as we'll get into. It just means that the audience didn't really want to support these films financially. And uh, for whatever reason, it uh, it fell a little flat. Imagine that. You know what I mean? But uh, with that being said, let's take a look back at some of Hollywood's most colossal failures, uh, if you want to say such a thing. Uh, just getting a film made is an accomplishment. So now this is strictly failure on financial status. Yes. And, and there's been many... Many films that have been created that just don't uh, either find their audience, and sometimes they find their audiences years or decades later. But uh, when they came out, it just did not hit the ground running, unfortunately. But that happens, you know. Who's to blame? That's quite a question. Who's to blame? The filmmaker? The marketing? The audience? The time? You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it's all of them uh, at the same time. <laughs> sometimes it's none of them. Yeah. You know, it's like catching lightning in a bottle. The zeitgeist. Hitting with the zeitgeist, you know, that's the luck element. A lot of people say when you're talking about success, you're talking about a lot of luck. You know, more so luck than talent. And uh, things just have to line up. And sometimes they, they line up in negative ways. And uh, you end up losing uh, you know, a hundred million dollars or something, which is kind of problematic when you think about it, you know? So with uh, that being said, Mr. Alexander, the great, uh, two Alexander, the great two, um, <laughs> let's kick off this first film here. All right. The first film that's, uh, on, uh, my list of, of, uh, dismal failures yes. is the adventures of Pluto Nash. Oh, boy. Starring the one and the only Eddie Murphy. Now, the tagline, the uh, little synopsis it has is, In the future, a man struggles to keep his lunar nightclub out of the hands of the mafia. You know, that that sounds very fun. You know what I mean? If I remember correctly, it was directed by Ron Underwood, director of Tremors, if I remember correctly. Hmm. 
Um, stars, of course, Eddie Murphy, Jay Moore is in there. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid's the crazy one, right? Yeah. Yep, no. yep. Randy, yeah, Randy's the crazy one. This is before Randy lost his mind. Uh, actually, I think he lost his mind years ago. We just, we just accepted it until now. <laughs> he was like, sanity's full. Like that scene, Shitter's full from Christmas vacation. It was like, sanity's full. So he doesn't deal with sanity anymore. Heck yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I never seen Pluto Nash by the, by the description of it. It doesn't actually sound like that horrible of a kid. It's a kid's movie, as we know. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is, I haven't seen it either, but Pluto Nash was like right in the middle of Eddie Murphy's, how should I, uh, we say, um, a less than stellar uh, filmography. It was kind of um, a series of uh, movies at, at around this time. You had Pluto Nash, you had uh, Norbit, you had uh, A Thousand Words. All of them, you know, just you know, just really didn't didn't work. And and sometimes you you just ask yourself what was going through. Not only Eddie Murphy's mind, but the producers that thought that these movies would be a, a good thing uh, to do. Um, well, this was this came in a weird time for Eddie Murphy because, as you know, most people know, Eddie Murphy kind of came up as a comedian, as a raunchy rock comedian, um, saying a lot of like foul things, um, you know, stuff that don't fly right now. But what what hurt him even before, like the kind of the cancel and the me, you know, the cancel culture, Me Too movement, time like time of right now, where people have to really watch what they say. Um, he got bopped because I think he got he was with a prostitute or something like that, uh, pub, and they caught him like on the streets, and it was a big deal. You know, TMZ, you know, the great Hugh Grant, which I, I never call him the Hugh Grant unless I'm talking about his performance in TMZ uh, photos after getting a blowjob. Um, his most his his best work, I consider that his best work, honestly. But uh, Eddie Murphy had an issue with that same type of deal. So he like went away from the edgier stuff for a while. That's why like now he's finally starting to come back. He's done movies a little more uh, edgier. Like, uh, uh, um, was it the Dolomite movie? What's it called? What's my name? They call uh, Dolomite, Dolomite is my name. Yeah. Which is a classic. Great. It's good to see Eddie, Eddie Murphy back in like an R form because, uh, that's where he belongs, I feel, and uh, he's superb at it. He, I think he had to just kind of dance around children's movies, and, you know, this could have been one of those weird things where they, you know, they people talk about kind of the conspiracies of big Hollywood and stuff, and it's like you have this big star, you're making all this, making all this money for you, then he gets caught up in a scandal that hurts at himself as well as all the investors and studio heads that work with them. So they say, look, man, you need to do these fucking kids movies that I know you don't want to do to, to help us get the money back that you've lost with, you know, us not being able to make an R movie with you. So I think that's kind of the formula that goes into stuff like this. Um, Ron Underwood directing it is pretty cool. Uh, Cause I've, I, I'm a gigantic fan of um, Tremors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Tremors is a great, uh, great film, a great series. I think it's uh, one of the horror franchises that, uh, I mean, I still enjoy uh, to this day. I mean, yeah. they've had good ones and bad ones, but uh, for the most part, even the bad ones are fun to watch. For but, shizzle, uh, for shizzle, for sure. You know what I mean? 
Um, unfortunately, Pluto Nash, uh, and from what I hear from a lot of people, that it is definitely one of the uh, lesser of of the you know lowest uh, films that he did. Um, That's saying a lot too. Yeah, I mean, personally, I would have thought out of out of his, it would have been Norbit because I thought Norbit was really bad. I mean, I saw that and I I I I, I found it cringeworthy. And I mean, the idea that you know Pluto Nash is considered even worse than Norbit uh, <laughs> makes makes me think twice about even checking it out. Norbit wasn't bad because it was Murphy doing multiple characters, which I always appreciate being a big mark for the Nutty Professor when it came out. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, Eddie Murphy's... And, you know, in his awesome. earlier stuff, of course, you know, yeah. coming to America and all that, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, the thing is that, you know, it still has to, you know, be good. I mean, like, I coming to America, all of him doing the different characters with our senior, uh, our senior hall, all of that worked. All of that, you know, it was, like, in a, uh, a, a good story, it all tied in. Um, with Norbit, it just felt like it was just, you know, just an excuse to, you know, use that kind of gimmick that he's done plenty of times before, but with a story that just, you know, had no point, in my opinion. Um, and like I said, I mean, out of, out of his, out of, you know, Pluto Nash, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen Pluto Nash, but uh, I did see uh, A Thousand Words. And that was okay. It wasn't great. Um, but Norbert, I was like, uh, I really, I really didn't like that one. Which one's the one where he goes into the body? Almost like an inner space type movie. Oh, Dave. That's Dave? Uh, that, I, I, yeah, what's Dave, it, it was like, uh, uh, yeah, you had like mini Eddie Murphys inside of a bigger Eddie Murphy. And I, I only saw the trailer of that. I mean, I... I that was a, that was another one like Pluto Nash where I saw it was like, eh, eh, not interested. I I actually I have Dave on Blu-ray. Somebody gave it to me. I've never watched it though. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing with Norbit, I ended up watching it because I think it was on TV or something. I didn't and think I, it was that bad from what I remember. I mean, it's not anything great, but it's definitely like as a little goofy weirdo Eddie Murphy playing. Multiple characters in like a big Hollywood, you know, film. Yeah, I think it was all right. I like it was you know he played the big girl that was in love with the nerdy kid and and, and the nerdy guy just yeah. Went, but but I mean the thing was there was like I even I mean you can have a movie uh, whether it's a comedy drama or whatever with main characters that aren't really how should we say likable, but yeah. when I mean, I didn't find any character really likable in that movie. Uh-huh. So I was kind of like, why am I watching this? I'm, so, like I said, I don't know about Pluto Nash. I know that it's been on a lot of, like, the worst of the worst, you know, movies. Right. But I'm, if, if Norbert's not even on this list, uh makes me wonder how bad Pluto Nash really is. Uh, I might actually just want to watch it just to compare. 
They only put one Eddie Murphy movie on the list. They didn't want to be too hard on him. <laughs> they didn't want him to take up most of. Them. Don't get me wrong. I love Eddie Murphy. I mean, but I mean, everyone has hits. Everyone has flops, and he had, you know, a chunk of flops around this time. Sounds like something you get at McDonald's. Yep, a floppy Big Mac. A chunk of flops. So, like, what do you know? What, what Give us a little history on the actual failure, box office failure of this bad Larry. Um, it says uh, nobody can uh, truly explain Eddie Murphy's career in recent decades. Well, he's brought us hits like Nutty Professor. He also brought outright cinematic atrocity <laughs> like Norbit, there you go. which I just mentioned. And the recent 8,000 Words, which is, yeah, it was okay, but not great. Yeah. But it's this 2002 sci-fi comedy that holds the title of the biggest flop, recouping only $7 million of its reported $100 million budget. Eddie's, luck, luck, uh, Eddie's lucky that Pluto Nash didn't come out during the 80s as it was originally intended because the young star's career probably wouldn't have recovered. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if it was supposed to, if inner space, if it was one of those things that was supposed to ride the coattails of inner space, or if it was maybe even possibly before it. And oftentimes you'll hear about, like, back in the, even still probably nowadays, but I don't hear about it as much because no one's telling the stories. You know, in 10 years, 20 years, people will be telling the stories of today's movies. But, you know, there was a lot of deals where there'd be two different filmmakers or studios making the same type of film, and it was really just kind of a a race to the finish to see whoever finished it first, release it first, um, and then try and take all the light for that theme, you know what I mean? Yeah, you'll take a but then you'll take a situation like uh, like Kubrick was going to make a World War Two movie, I think it was, or something like that. And um, they uh, there was another film that came out right before it that failed, and because of that failure, the studio said we're not making a movie on that subject. So like stuff like that happens a lot, you know. But seven million off of a hundred million dollar budget is what that's that's probably a good reason why. Yeah, uh, Eddie Murphy was getting kicked around on the, on the dirts for a little bit. Yeah, craziness. Um, all that I heard, all that money went to Randy Quaid's paycheck. <laughs> probably his spaceship for the spaceship he was going to drive into the big alien craft. Speaking of alien craft, next up, two uh, thousands Battlefield Earth. My goodness, um, this was the uh, the John Travolta vehicle. Uh, with Forrest Whitaker, Barry Pepper, and Kim Coates. Kim Coates is my favorite addition to this project. Um, you know, this, I believe, was based off of a um, L. Ron Hubbard book, you know, because, you know, J.T. Is a, was a, I don't know if he still is, but was a big Scientologist at the time. So I think that's what the, the push to get what L. Ron's books made uh, were more of a bigger deal at this time. And they're big, exuberant books. So, you know, you're going to need a gigantic budget to do it. Um, but, you know, it's the year 3000 A.D. Woo, creepy already. Um, and the Earth is lost to an alien race of uh, cyclones, which is just, you know, Psycho uh, with L.O.s in it. It's like Juggalos and Psycho Less put together. Humanity is enslaved by these gold-thirsty tyrants, sounds like today, who are unaware that their man-animals are about to ignite the rebellion of a lifetime. 
to sound like they needed three million dollars just to just to just explain the movie right there and that that thing cost three million dollars just to like read but yeah i remember this being one of the biggest gigantic failures of all time you know it looks you just it's horrendous like everything about this movie from the trailer on never fully watched it I think Travolta was just doing his duty as a Scientologist to make this film. I think that was kind of it. Um, and, you know, ro- directed by Roger Christian. I know you're a big fan of Roger Christian, right, Hawk? Um, I don't know. Uh, what else has he done? <laughs> he directed Nostradamus, uh, The Sender, you know. He did some, he, he was set direct. His biggest credit is set director on Star Wars. So that's probably uh, a bad sign, I assume. You know what I mean? But he has directed 20 things. Um, He's still going to this day. So uh, kudos, kudos. I bet he's somebody that tells everybody how this film destroyed his career. And maybe maybe it did. Quite possible. Um, He was kind of on a decent whirlwind. Underworld. This is the dude who directed Underworld. Uh, yeah, but it's not the underworld you're thinking of. No, he wishes it was the underworld that we were thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so, too. When I first saw it, I was like, wait, he did Underworld? I mean, that was a pretty good movie. And then, I don't know, uh, this one has Dennis Leary, Joe Mantegna, yeah, and yeah. Annabella Sciarra. Yeah, no, I'm with it. Um, Roger Christian. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know, I think he, maybe he's a Scientologist, too. Who's to know any of that stuff, and maybe they're placed? I don't know. Um, never fully watched it, seen clips. Didn't really think it was worth watching, tell you the truth, my friend. Okay, okay, I, I, it's funny, I just clicked on the one thing that he's done that I've actually seen. Yeah? In Battlefield Earth. Uh, Masterminds. You ever saw that movie? Who's in it? Patrick Stewart, okay, a uh, bunch of other uh, kids. I mean, I mean, Patrick Stewart was like the only real big is it, name. Is it, high, is it a high school movie? Where yeah, they, yeah, yeah. He's like, I forget the the premise, but it's like you know, he and his like mercenaries take over high school, and then yeah. you have like the high school, you know, either skateboarder or stoner, you know, you know, yeah. saves the day kind of deal. I mean, come on! I mean, if 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 th- those are the kind of movies that he does, uh, no wonder Battlefield Earth wasn't that good. He sounds like a studio director. They go, "You need to make the Breakfast Club into an action movie," and he was like, "Okay." And he uh, probably just said, "You need to make Battlestar whatever the fuck." I was about to say Battlestar Galactica. What is this, Battlefield that's, Earth? That's actually good. That's people actually- like that. Yeah, that my dad Dukes loves that show. Happy Father's Day. But yeah, Battlefield Earth uh, is more like, um, you know, I don't even know. Battlefields, it's just one big one big pit with dead bodies in it and dead careers and dead uh, checks that wish they never got written, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but one of the most reviled films of all time. People, uh, they, they, they vomit in the street when they even hear people talk about it. Battlefield Earth lost 73 million... It almost killed John Travolta's career for a second time following his Pulp Fiction comeback. So what went wrong, you might ask yourself? 
and then you tell yourself pretty much everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a pet project from the fucking beginning. Travolta, uh, you know, because of his relation, he wanted to adapt the sci-fi novel um, by Mr. L. Ron Hubbard, who I believe was dead at that point. You know, he's a yeah. cult leader. His cult still goes strong even after he's dead, so he must have been doing something right. But uh, instead, it was lambasted for its hokey dialogue, hammy acting, terrible special effects, and copious dreadlocked characters. Oh, and Travolta's creepy lizard tongue, which is uh, is actually his real life tongue. He, he thought he'd bring it, out, he'd bring it out into the real world, let the people see it for real because it fit the character. But uh, he'll never do that again. He said, fuck society. They can't accept my lizard tongue for real. Nothing but bad news all over this thing, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean... It's, uh, there's very few movies that I, you know, even if it's bad, not watch all the way through. I think Battlefield Earth is one of those things that I catch like on TV and I'll watch about maybe five or ten minutes and I'm like, oh yeah, it's this stupid movie. And then I switch the channel. It's kind of weird that they would even have it on TV because if they knew it was such a, I don't think they make much money off of it. You know what I mean? So they, what, you'd think there'd be better movies people would want to watch for ratings, the, the, the channels. Well, I mean, I mean, there was a time where uh, where TV would, I mean, for example, It's a Wonderful Life, okay? When it became a cult uh, Christmas thing, it wasn't because there was a, uh, you know, it was great from when it was uh, released. Yeah. It actually flopped when it was released, but because it flopped, that means that TV stations could get it cheap. And, you know, when they needed something to, you know, fill up time on Christmas, they would throw it on. And I also, yeah. I lot of A lot of uh, movies. I mean, if the movie didn't do that well, whether it was good, bad, or people want, uh, uh, I know that TV stations would buy them up, you know, giving, you know, little shekels to try to uh, make those who invested in it not feel too bad. Right. But, you know, they were able to get on the cheap, and when they have, like, you know, a, like, 9 to 10 or, you know, some kind of slot where they needed to fit something, Ooh. They, you know, like cut down Battlefield Earth, throw that in to fill the spot. I also want to add that while I was th- while you were talking and I was thinking, which I often like to do. Uh-oh. Uh oh! Don't tell anyone that. <laughs> uh, you got you take in consideration. Two thousand was a big time for like Battlestar Galactic, uh, Stargate, the show, Firefly, yeah. all these types of shows. So the, the whoever might have honestly, and I don't blame them, thought that it could get a second life on television with a television audience. You know, yeah. based off of some of those sci-fi channel type shows and such that were killing it at that time. I didn't. I, I won't say I wasn't a big fan of these shows, but I will definitely argue the fact that they were killing it at that time. Oh. People were loving those shows at that time. Yeah, and and, and the thing is shows. that I mean, and uh, a Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, when that came out, that didn't do that well in the box box office. Right. So, you know, that was another one that. Uh, like TV station bought up, you know, uh, cheap to throw on, like uh, to fill some uh, time gaps, and it had a resurgence. That that's a perfect example of a movie that came out 
at a time where it really wasn't, you know, um, a big thing. No one really, you know, kind of took to it. But as years went and it was on TV, people uh, uh, became fans of it. I mean, talk to most anyone now. They tell you Shawshank Redemption is one of the best movies ever. But when it came out, it definitely was not considered that. You, I guess people can say us and whoever can say whatever they want to say about Travolta, but I have heard firsthand accounts of him meeting fans and being really good to his fans, so I give him kudos for that. Um, what do you got up next, buddy boy? All right, next one. Now, I have to admit I have not seen this movie. Uh, it is The Postman. It stars the one and only Kevin Costner, uh, Will Patton, and uh, Olivia Williams. Uh, a nameless drifter dons a postman's uniform and a bag of mail as he begins quest to inspire hope to the survivors living in a post-apocalyptic America. Yeah, uh, I mean, the... Yeah, the... <laughs> the description itself really uh, it doesn't, you know, grab anyone by the, by the scruff of the neck say, hey, you gotta watch it. Um, this is uh, this is actually a good flick, though. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's actually a good movie. Uh, when it came out, I had a girlfriend at the time that uh, pushed you it very heavily. Girlfriend? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I called her a girl. We called her a girlfriend because of the times. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nowadays, we could be we could be fair with everybody. Um, but yeah, uh, the Postman's a good flick. I'm pretty sure this is the one I'm thinking of. Um. One of Kevin Costner's best, I'd say. He got he directed this as well. Costner's one of those weird actors that he came into it, he got some he got freedom with success, and then he just kinda killed it and did whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And I believe to this day he's still acting and directing, so I have to give him kudos for that. Yeah, I mean the thing is I know that um now I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think Waterworld was around this time. I don't know if it was before or after it. I know Waterworld, I mean, that movie I saw, um, that was another big uh, flop of his. And, I mean, for a while, Kevin Costner wasn't, you know, now now we see Kevin Costner being picked up and doing stuff. Now it's, it's kind of like, you know, with John Travolta when, you know, he stopped doing um, things and then he came back. Uh, Kevin Costner seems to be coming back a bit more, uh, and he uh, he played uh, Superman's. Uh, uh, um, Kevin Costner's uh, like a Kevin Father Paul Kent. Kevin, Co- yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that. He was the yeah. father, right? Yeah, in in uh, the Henry Cavill uh, Superman that that came out, you know, um, not too long ago. Yeah. Um, also, I know that he, he's been in a few other things uh, recently. I mean, I actually became a fan of Kevin Costner um, when he was in the movie Silverado. I love that I movie. I love that film. Yeah. Um, it's like, every, I mean, I haven't Kevin seen... Me have beef. Hmm? Me and Kevin Klein have beef, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Klein stole uh, a match. Stole my Phoebe. Yeah, stole my Phoebe from me. That was very heartbreaking. That was a, that was a, that was a tough, fucking tough couple minutes, dude. When I lost Phoebe, <laughs> that was harsh times. Yeah. But um, it's 
says here that in 1997, the film took place in the post apocalypse 2013. Ah, um, not, I think it was a little off in its dates, but, you know, hey, you never know. But uh, it only uh, brought in $18 million on an $80 million investment. And director and star Kevin Costner, who had previously starred in the equally costly sci-fi dud Waterworld. At least so, Waterworld had Dennis Hopper, who's the man. Yeah, I mean, Waterworld I enjoyed. It, it wasn't great, but... Um, so the, the reason this probably got the list of said Waterworld was the fact that, you know, he he he, uh, he he really tanked with Waterworld and then he got another shot at the uh, Gold he Cup tanked. and he kind of he missed the mark again with the Postman. He tanked with Waterworld? Is that a joke? No, no, no. That That's a fact. Waterworld was um, successful because of Dennis Hopper and because um, our boy Kevin Costner had gills. He was oh, a yeah. gill man. He was uh, a gill man. He was the gill man. He was gill man before gill man was, uh, I wouldn't say cool because, of course, you have the original gill man. You know what I mean? But yeah. the shape of water, of course, re- reinventing in the, in the Hollywood light. But I, I, I do love it. Uh, they actually have here saying that Vanity Fair wrote, audiences were in no mood to watch a movie which begins with Custer resetting Macbeth to his donkey before once more monitoring himself for three hours. I've seen video of Costner doing worse things with donkeys. Martyring during the 90s. I've seen him do worse things with donkeys since I murdered your your fucking you doing it. (laughs) Do you want to, should we do an edit? (laughs) Uh, You want me to go back and... And And start over, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll pause. From, From the beginning? Just from, like, the middle. The audiences were in no mood part. Okay. And it actually has written here that uh, Vanity Fair wrote, audiences were in no mood to watch a movie, which begins with Costner sending Macbeth to his donkey, or was it his ass, before once more martyring himself for three hours. Costner did a lot of on-screen monitoring during the 90s. Well, well, what you gonna do? I mean, I can understand uh, reciting Macbeth, but maybe reciting Macbeth to Yass is not quite an uh, um, exciting thing to watch. I've seen him in more incriminating videos with donkeys, so I won't go any further. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, uh, but yeah, this was... The Postman was actually a good flick. I have it. I'll let you borrow it next time you're by, you're around. It's a good flick. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, I I enjoy Kevin. I think uh, he's a good actor. Um, I mean, as as uh, as we always say, I mean, like, I mean, I love Eddie Murphy, but he also has done some really, you know, god awful. I mean, the thing is, uh, from most people that I've talked to that have seen The Postman that did not like it. Most of them said it was too long and they thought it was too boring and too meandering. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, sometimes when you're doing a, a film, you know, like this, it just needs to, you know, hit you on the right, right time. It was, right? yeah, if memory serves me correctly, it was definitely a slow burn. I mean, there wasn't a lot happening. When I was thinking of the money, it was like, yeah, it was a big landscapey movie. But I don't remember, like, a whole lot happening in it. So, like, 
it was one of those things where it's just in, the whole like the location is encompassing and, and huge more so than actually I, what I felt to be like people bringing in the people and all that stuff like yeah you know th- th- this uh, the same girlfriend I believe told me about the last samurai with uh, Tom Cruise as being a good flick. And I think I purchased them both on those accounts. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, I, as, as Matt will attest, I am not a Tom Cruise fan, but I do have to say that La- The Last Samurai is a really good movie. And Tom does a good job in it. I mean, I can't, uh, can't fault him for that. But, uh, yeah, Last Samurai is definitely a good movie. Yeah, so I'll have to check out uh, The Postman when they come over to your place, man. Maybe we'll do a double feature. Hey, I'm down for that. The Last Samurai and The Postman. Oh, what's the next one? Um, next one? Huh? What's the list do we have, buddy boy? Next up is uh, yeah, Matt the- Woman. Matt Woman, which was what they called me back in the 90s. <laughs> oh, Catwoman. Excuse me. Cat- My mistake, Catwoman. Oh, I was having flashbacks. <laughs> Um, PG-13, you know, uh, right, I think that turned some folks off. They were looking for a more sexier Catwoman, I feel. They were hoping to see a little more, some nudity like in Swordfish. Oh, hold on. All I have to say is that, um, I mean, (laughs) Halle Berry's outfits as Catwoman is probably the most revealing Catwoman outfit that we've had, uh, ever. Uh, (laughs) I mean, Even though that the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman outfit might not be as revealing, I still think it's sexier. It it was, it was definitely uh, well. Michelle Pfeiffer, I consider sexier. There's something about that Off open stitch, the open <laughs> stitch, the handmade outfit of Michelle Pfeiffer's that's very sexy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, Catwoman's one of the biggest flops of all time from 2004. You know. Um, a shy woman endowed with the speed, reflexes, and senses of a cat walks a thin line between criminal and hero. Even as Detective Dodgely pursue her, fascinated both of her personas. <laughs> All right. Um, now, I've seen this movie. Have you seen this movie? No, I'm as you know, I'm not typically a superhero fan. So when the superhero, when it, when none of the superhero people are talking about it, I definitely don't see them. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, here's the thing. Okay, first of all, uh, from my memory, okay, this Catwoman has absolutely nothing to do with the uh, Catwoman from the comic books. Unless there's some offshoot that, you know, I, I missed. Mm-hmm. Which is possible because they always like to reinvent and play around with the uh, ideas of the different characters. Uh, Catwoman, originally in the Batman mythos, was called Catwoman because... Okay, hold on to your uh, your butts. Yeah. I know this is go- going to shock people. This is going to, like like, break open the mythos of the Batman world. But Catwoman was called a cat woman because she was a cat burglar. Okay? Mm. She did not have any supernatural powers. Even though in you know the Batman universe and the DC universe you got people with superpowers. Catwoman did not. Okay? 
Catwoman was a very skilled thief who would wear a cat, uh, a, originally a cat suit, not not a actual suit that looks like a cat, but you know would slink in, you know, steal high end jewelry items, and of course as the mythos and the character really uh, grew on people. They then decided to make her costume more cat-like and give her a whip and other cool little things to play with. But for the most part, she liked Batman. I know I know. another shock. Batman actually does not have the powers of a bat. Okay? I, 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 know, I know that's shocking. But Catwoman was like the same. She was a regular person who, you know, had a certain skill set. Uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why Batman and Catwoman always kind of had a thing in the comic books, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean, buddy. Yeah. But, I mean, getting back to the Halle Berry Catwoman movie, I mean, I will have to give Halle Berry credit. She's the only one that I know that actually went to the Razzies Awards to uh, accept her Razzie for her role uh, as... Catwoman, which I will have to give her credit for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was watching it, it, it was poorly written, uh, it had nothing to do with, it, it, it just was so bad. I, yeah, it, it, there, there's a reason why most people joke around about, you know, oh, who's the best Joker? And they always have different uh, places for the different uh, Jokers, except they always have Jared Leto at the bottom of the list. In Catwoman, it's the same thing with Halle Berry. He's always at the bottom of the list, which, um, honestly, I have to say, I don't think really is her fault uh, for the fact that I think she did the best she could with a crappy script. Um, uh, The only uh, thing I would say about Halle is she made a Bad decision accepting the role. Yeah, I wonder if there, there was, the director isn't really that. He did visual, basically visual effects and stuff like that. He's not really like a director. He just kind of fell into it. He's directed a few things. Um, made that that's the biggest thing they directed. He did a lot of you know some shorts, uh, TV series, um, but nothing really quite you know. Uh, too crazy so it's quite possibly there might have been a bigger director involved that fell out after she and she signed you know she signed up for it and then there was maybe an issue with where that director left and they kind of a lot of situations with those bigger films is when the the financial backings there you know they they they, they prep they prep they prep and then if it comes to a point where there's a clashing of heads creatively with the producer the studio and the filmmaker and the filmmaker leaves the studio scrambles to get a director so they don't lose those funds. They, they go, we finally got, you know, they, it takes them, you know, it's little, they're better at doing it, but, it, you know, getting money from anybody is difficult. Uh, so, like, when they have those funds, they still want to roll out. So I think this could have been a situation where they just said, like, quit, who can direct this? Um, okay, this dude can direct it. We've seen this short that he did with this dark style that we liked. It's, you know, futuristic Tim Burton or whatever, whatever the vibe that they were going for. Um, I know the coolest thing that this director ever did was uh, the first thing he ever did digital, digital visual effects on was uh, Delicatessen in 1991. I believe it's a French film that's uh, really cool. 
um, crime comedy, weird caper, post-apocalyptic, surrealistic black comedy about the landlord of an apartment building who occasionally, you know, prepares maybe some folks, maybe his uh, tenants, you know what I mean, type deal. Um, you know, maybe some bad news type deal, I won't spoil anything, but a uh, very cool flick, you know what I mean. Um, definitely for sure, check that out. Uh, you can catch that wherever, it's pretty common. I know I've seen that every time I go into a store, I usually see the DVD used to get, uh, I'm sure there's a Blu-ray. But this director go- that goes by the name of Pitov, uh, which I don't support that, eh, good for him, it's his name. Amen, brother. You're not doing any more movies. Uh, he's doing visual effects, though. He's killing it, I guess, with that. Maybe not so much. I just took a peek. But <laughs> he got to direct Catwoman, and uh, he can go down in history as being one of those folks known as making one of the biggest box office flops of all time. He'll also probably be on another list in the future of Boris movies, uh, and we'll have to break it down in the years or something, because there was definitely... A good percentage of worse movies. But, you know, with this, you got to give Halle Berry credit, as you said. She took it in stride, you know what I mean? Um, it brought all that money, you know what I mean? $40 million, just brought in $40 million out of a million-dollar budget, you know what I mean? And uh, she doesn't let it tarnish her up, you know what I mean? She still considers it to be a wonderful experience, uh, so I, I guess at least somebody had a good time with the project. Um, as long as the check clears, that's what a lot of people on that film said. Yeah. But, uh, what's up next on your list? Talk All right, next one. Okay. Uh, is a film that actually I enjoy. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't think it deserves the, uh, the hate that it gets. Uh, and that is, is, Cutthroat Eyes, uh, starring uh, Gina Davis and Matthew Modine and Frank Langella. And uh, the uh, description that gives it is a female pirate and her companion race against their rivals to find a hidden island that contains a fabulous treasure. And directed by Rennie Harlan. Harlan. Actually, Rennie Harlan has done a lot of good stuff. He's done a lot. Long Kiss Goodnight he did that we really Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, also, um, uh, oh, Cliffhanger, I think. Cliffhanger, he did Prison. Uh, for, for the horror people out there that get down with it, I believe he also directed A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, maybe? Or uh, he also, I think did, it was. Yeah, he also directed Die Hard 2, which is another film that... Um, I mean, it might not be as, as great as one or three, but I definitely enjoyed it. And, and I think Die Hard 2 is a definitely good movie. Yeah, Die Hard 2, I got to see that in the drive-in, believe it or not, back in the day with Double Feature. I believe that, I think it was, I think it was Die Hard 2 and Dick Tracy. I could be wrong. Um, but it was, um, yeah, Die Hard 2 is good times. You know what I mean? Um, cliffhanger, of course, you know, he, he's one of those dudes, Deep Blue Sea, he also did, um, that Mindhunters movie that we brought up before, um, not the, no, actually, no, it's not the one, I was thinking of something else, I was, Masterminds, yeah, I thought we had a double connection. is the, is the, uh, other one, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, this yeah, one, yeah. actually, if, if it's the one I'm thinking on, 
It actually has like Val Kilmer in it and Christian Slater. It is that one, yeah. Believe it and achieve it because it is that. Yeah, one. yeah. Actually, Mindhunters is, is is a good film. I like it. I'm not typically a fan of Matthew Modine. Uh, he, I typically I only like him really in Full Metal Jacket. To be honest with you, there's something about him. Oh, come on, come on. The thing is that you only like people in Full Metal Jacket when they're in Full Metal Jacket. As soon as they leave that, you you don't like them. It's the same thing with Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm sure it's the same thing with Adam Baldwin also. Now, you know what's funny about the Adam Baldwin thing is like, I don't know. He Adam Baldwin could play. It, it all depends on him as a person. He's a, one of the, He's a dude that has... Uh, and in Full Metal Jacket, he he played that character so well as Animal Mother that I, you know, I like I don't you know I, I almost feel like he's Animal Mother in real life. That's my take. That's my take. But I'm sure he's a good dude. You know what I mean? Well, uh, anyway, I mean, go, going back to Cutthroat Island, and it's nothing uh, personal. It, it's just as yeah. act, as actors and watching these people on the screen. Sometimes I don't get down with those the, the, those uh, those motives, but. Anyway, like I was saying, I mean, Cuthbert Island, I think is is a fun, um, a fun little adventure story, uh, especially nowadays. I mean, it's the the thing is actually, I think Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis were they they either dated or they got married or they were an item. That's one of the reasons why you know he wanted to do this as a kind of a thing to he did this. He did Long Kiss Goodnight. And of course, he wanted to, you know, push Gina Davis forward. And personally, me, I, I've always been a fan of Gina Davis. I think she's a, a great actress, a lot of fun to watch, and I think she did a great job in this. Um, also, another thing for uh, it's one of the uh, a perfect example where you know they took a tried and true uh, adventure story and they gave the lead to a female and they. Focused on her, it wasn't, and and they made the the guy the kind of the the sidekick, the you know um, smaller role. I mean, Matthew Modine, I thought did a, a decent job doing that, and the two of them, I thought worked well uh, on screen. I'm sure they did, and I respect both of those people. I just think that it did. I think it kind of had a flop situation because when you see a big epic adventure film like that you don't exactly i personally don't exactly see gina davis or matthew modine as the two people leading that parade so i think that that might be kind of what hurt about i think society kind of felt the same way and they could have been the most perfect people for the for the roles you know they could have been casted perfectly and i just think in the grand scheme of marketing and such society as a whole the audience just kind of, it didn't kind of click up with them you if you were to take somebody else uh, you know, in this type of vibe, um, which it escapes me at this at this time of the you know who who would have been better for you know these films? Now Val Kilmer, I almost feel like Val Kilmer around this time might have been a better you know as far as marketing wise, as far as thinking of his studio producer mind, I'd say ladies would probably want to see Val Kilmer more in that in that position. You know what I mean? And that's not that against Modine. That's just kind of the madness of marketing and, and, and th- putting a price tag on everything in the business. You know what I mean? Trying to make more loot. I I think I've seen this as a kid. This and the Goonies are like 
I, whenever I, I think of Cutthroat Island, I always think of the Goonies. I don't know if it's the poster just kind of can those two posters kind of have a little connection for me or if I just remember seeing them because it was around the same time when I see them, I don't really quite full fully know why, but, um, what do you know about the, the failure niche of this? Oh, well, you remember during this time when Gina Davis was in every movie? Well, (laughs) anyway, remember when, uh, action, uh, uh, maestro Randy Holland die hard too was the Michael Bay of his day. Well, this infamous pirate movie put the kibosh on both of their careers. Its epic failure, only grossing $10 million after occurring a $90 million budget, is also responsible for the folding of Coralco Pictures, the one-time motion picture biggie behind the Terminator movies. Mm. And when you factor in uh, infl- uh, inflation... In- infiltration, inflation. Inflation, I mean. Uh, Cutthroat Island is considered to be the biz box office bomb of all time, losing over $147 million. It would be years before Johnny Depp and Disney Reese uh, resurrected the pirate genre on the big screen. Dang, over $147 million. That's why, he, that was probably, if you look, that was probably when Modine chose to do more independent features, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of those. He, that was the point in his career where he said, "I think I've done everything I've wanted to do with big, big Hollywood films. Let's see how the the, the little, you know, those more passionate passion projects. Let's see yeah, how they yeah. play out." The 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 passion little people who uh, who uh, still remember me from my glory days. I wonder if in 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 the old world of the studio system, that's an insult. Where when you, when you fuck somebody. Fuck up somebody's money, or you upset somebody, and they go. I hope you like you like you like doing passion projects, right? <laughs> like when they, they tell the big superstar, you you like doing. Uh, like when the time comes, when they tell Maki Wahlberg, they're like, Maki, you always wanted to do some, you know, some small Boston passion projects, right? You you said you kind of wanted to get out of, you know. Uh, you don't really want to do these, you know, hundred million dollar action movies anymore. You know, playing these twenty year old kids at seventy years old. You don't really want to do that, Maki. Do you want to do that, Maki? And they go, Maki goes. I want to do. I want what? I want the money. I want the money. We all want the money. It's okay. We're all gonna open up hamburger joints. <laughs> Uh, so, Cutthroat Island uh, cut the throat of the careers of many people on that project. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I mean, personally, I like it. I, my, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun, uh, you know, pirate adventure movie. And I don't sure. think it deserves the uh, hate that it got. Um, I just, it's one of those things I think it just... It just didn't hit its stride. It just slept came on. out and just didn't hit its stride. It slept on, you know, because like we said before, some of the movies here, they're not exactly bad movies. They're just, they weren't received by, they were financially failed, financially. And, uh, you know, artistically and financially are two different, two different worlds. Next up, we have 1999's. The 13th Warrior. 
Uh, this film was blamed for Columbine because of the excessive violence from Antonio Bandares. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think they brought in swords in, in, in that situation. Well, that's the one you know. That's the child you don't know about. That was oh, okay. the kid they don't talk about. We had the swords. Um, but- yeah. Alex Jones is always talking about the guy with the swords. <laughs> um, no. I thought you were talking about the gay frogs. Well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, what, what can you do, bud? So, in 1999, you know, John McTiernan, who's big-time gangster, you know, he had a little issue recently with some law. He was on trial, and he lied for his friend uh, on uh, in, in, in court, and they caught him lying, and you know, uh, some would say that's honorable, though. You never can tell who's who the court systems, you know what I mean? They're, they always want you to rat on each other, but they never want to rat on themselves. That's the court systems for you. Um, but, yeah, speaking of Die Hard, going back, you have the original Die Hard, this gentleman directed, McTernan. Uh, Predator, the original Predator, my goodness, man. Last Action Hero, you know, incredibleness, you know what I mean? Just, you know, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which arguably, I'd say, is number dose. It skips over part two. Um, we should be talking about whether or not there's a Die Hard curse over here, man. You, you know, if two and three end up making some... Or, like, you got to make a, bo- a film that fails in order to them to approach you with a, a Die Hard movie. <laughs> I figure it's not Die Hard, man. He's either going to go live free or Die Hard, you know what I mean? Um, but I have, I have never seen the 13th warrior, so I can't really give an opinion on how great it is or not. It could be cool. Um, Uh, uh, I've seen the 13th warrior. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's about, about a man have, having fallen in love with the wrong woman. Oh brother. And sent by assaulting himself on a diplomatic mission to a distant land as an ambassador. Stopping at a Viking village port to restock on supplies, he finds himself unwittingly embroiled in a quest to banish a mysterious threat in a distant Viking land. Does this movie just have a supernatural element to it? See, this is the beauty of it. Yeah. It doesn't. Okay. The thing is that, all right, spoilers alert if you haven't seen The 13th Warrior. The thing is that... Uh, Antonio Banderas ends up being the 13th man chosen for this expedition uh, to this foreign land to rid uh, this um, this uh, uh, place from these uh, creatures. They they believe they're like some kind of like monstrous uh, bear creatures, but they find out it's just guys wearing bear skins. You know, trying to make people think that there's these, you know, creatures to, you know, instill more fear into the people they're attacking. Okay. I mean, the thing is, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, uh, looking at this list, The 13th Warrior is a great movie. My advice is go and watch it. Uh, I love it. I don't think it deserves any of... Uh, the you know I, I don't think it deserves to be on this list. I mean, well, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't uh, hit uh, the market. People didn't go out and watch it. I think it's it's definitely a great movie. Uh, love Antonio Banderas in it, and I think everyone was 
great in this film. Um, it was actually uh, said Omar Sharif, who has a very small uh, role in this film, you know, made comment that he was embarrassed that he was part of this film because, you know, Omar Sharif has done so many great films and has, you know, a great legacy. And, of course, 13th Warrior did not do that well. And, and that's why he probably says that he's embarrassed about it. But uh, the truth is, first of all, Omar Sharif's, like, in two scenes. Okay, that's it. And secondly, I it's still a good movie whether you agree or not. It's still a really good movie. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like uh, he's probably got some worse things in there somewhere, you know what I mean? He was a, yeah. he was a part of that 10,000 BC movie at one point, so he can't be given too much. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, the thing is, he probably is saying that because, you know, it didn't do well and, and he wanted to distance himself from the film, which I understand. I mean, you don't want to be, especially if you have such a, a great, um, uh, uh, you know, career and legacy that you don't want to be tied into uh, a flop. But as far as I'm concerned... It's a great film. You definitely should check out. I mean, like I said, I mean, the, the twist that I gave away, honestly, is one of the reasons why this is a great film because, you know, it builds builds it up and, and you think that it's something supernatural and you find out that it's not. Right. I mean, I like that because it, it brings you from, you know... And, and, and it really works because you have Antonio Banderas, whose character is, I mean, the whole thing is he's the outsider. And he's here with a bunch of Vikings. There's a scene, a beautiful scene, where you have him sitting at a campfire with the, the other with the Vikings. And the yeah. Vikings are talking in their speech. Now, he doesn't know what uh, their speech. I mean, no one taught him. So he's there and he's watching and he's listening to him. And as as the uh, scenes keep going and he's watching them, their their speech starts to turn into English, showing the audience that he's starting to understand what they are saying. And then at a, uh, near the end, they're all speaking English and then he starts to speak in English. And then it shows that that he has learned their own speech. And now he can converse with them by just watching them. And yeah. that, myself, I thought was a great scene. Made me cry. You know, they consider an early career misfire from Andadas, you know what I mean? Misfire, uh, not to be confused with Shoot 'em Up, Desperado, one of his greatest films of all time. Um, $160 million movie only earned back $60 million worldwide. Uh, making it one of the biggest bombs ever, you know what I mean, which is horrendous. Um, you know, they throw around numbers, and you often hear they say that they exaggerate the numbers a lot. I want, when they say that it only made, when they say, a hundred, you know, 160, it was made for, only made 60 back, it's almost like they said, eh, we'll, we'll just cut it at a mil. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's not quite accurate. Um, but I'm sure it hurt. I'm sure it got the hurt train. But yeah, I, I, after your endorsement and knowing who's involved, the McTarran I like a lot. I think he's a great director, and Bandaras is superb. You know, he's a, a dude who can do 
really any genre. I've never seen him not. I, it, it, I could see him doing horror. I could see him being like a psychopath in a movie and it being great. You know, I can see him doing something very funny, like a like a midlife movie about a dad, you know, dealing with his kids or something like that and being funny. I could see it. You know what I mean? Um, dramatic stuff. He's a very great actor. You know what I mean? Superb. Um, next up. Alexander, maybe you should grab this one for a certain <laughs> reason. I, uh, Alexander, Alexander the King of Macedonia, and one of the greatest army leaders in the history of warfare, conquers much of the known world. Now, I have to admit, I did not see this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because it came out at a time where everyone was like, going Colin Farrell crazy, and I was not on the bandwagon. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy him more now when he went more indie, when he did more indie stuff than uh, showing his, you know, range. I, I, I prefer him now like Seven Psychopaths. I, I love that movie. I thought he was good in that. Um, yeah. Uh... Colin Farrell's a dude I often say that, like you, I, I liked him more. He went through, he had, like, a real dark period where I think he overdosed uh, and had to, like, rebuild his career a little bit. And when he came back, he started doing things a little more comedic where he wasn't taking taking so much, you know, taking himself so serious where he did, like, Horrible Bosses. He was in the Fright Night remake. Um, and he was good in these things, you know what I mean? So I, that that's what kind of re rebuilt it up for me. I did see Alexander because I love Oliver Stone. Uh, everything he puts out, I see it. It wasn't a bad movie. It was super long, if I remember correctly, and it was boring. You know, there was a Troy, I think, was a movie that came out around this time that was along the same lines of the, that period piece. Fit. That was, like, a way better film, and I think that hurt. Like we said earlier, where, you know, two films would square off. I think this and Troy were the two films that squared off, and Troy was the better film with Brad Pitt. Um, but Oliver Stone's a dude that makes films, and I remember with this, it was ambiguous, sexually ambiguous, whether or not Alexander was, uh, he was more of like a bisexual character, if I remember correctly. And people, yeah. that, it, 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 for that, it could show you the times, people, you know, uh, that, you know, they'd be, you know what I mean? That's a, definitely a if, sign of the time. If Oliver Stone did this movie today, he'd uh, have won an Oscar. He would have won an Oscar, probably. It would have been a bigger deal now. But, yeah, but that's Oliver Stone's deal is he's all, he, super groundbreaking, does a lot of shit, did a lot of shit first. Yeah. Uh, another director that I don't, I think he doesn't get the respect he deserves because people don't share the same opinion on politics with him. Uh, and if it wasn't for that, politi- that poli- <laughs> political thing, I think he'd be getting more respect because um, I think, you know, some of his earlier work is undeniably incredibly great. You know yeah. what I mean? You got it. You, you, there's certain filmmakers, these, these iconic filmmakers that we love and that built these legacies. Like you can say maybe some of them might've fizzled out a little bit later in their career, but there's definitely a hand, three to a handful of films within their body of work that are, awesome are reasons why you want to make movies you know what i mean so i'll always give oliver stone credit and kudos to the end this one didn't quite go in the direction you wanted to this is another film with rosario dawson on this list so she she's she's uh and we love rosario dawson oh yeah yeah she was killing it this time too she was everywhere yeah 
I mean, I gotta say, I'm 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 happy that she's doing a uh, a lot of good stuff now. Always been a fan of hers, and uh, very talented actress. And Alexander, the king of Macedonia, and one of the greatest army leaders in the history of warfare, conquers much of the known world. There's another movie called Alexander about Alexander Hawk conquering the world of acting. Yes, uh, that one is uh, still in production. It's on, it's, it's and, uh, I'll let you know how, how, how it is. I've got a question uh-huh. for you, Alex. Yeah. Who's to blame for all of the Stones' massive historical epic flopping at the box office? The culture wars in America, naturally. That's the case I made after Alexander fell flat. In 2004, despite a $150 million budget, ever ever the provocateur, Stone presented Colin Farrell's Alexander as bisexual, which upset some red staters. We go into his bisexuality, Stone told Playboy. It may offend some people, but sexuality in those days was a different thing. Yes, surprised. I'm most surprised by the movie's failure was Farrell, who thought he'd be up for awards instead, wound up, wound up rethinking his career. You um, got a mind that it was ahead of its time. Well, I mean, the thing is, um, while uh, tackling the bisexuality aspect would definitely uh, uh, probably, if it was done now, put out for awards, what would probably still sink it is the fact that Colin Farrell is a white man playing a Macedonian. Yeah, that yeah, that that could be an issue for him. Yeah, so I mean, the thing is, honestly, I think uh, yeah, it, it was kind of destined to you know flop, unfortunately. But other um, than that, I think it'd be pretty celebrated if it was released more celebrated if it was released now than back then. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, the thing is, uh, like I said, when it came out. Of on um, not interested Colin Farrell kick, and uh, that's why I didn't check it out. Um, and but I like Matt said, Oliver Stone is 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 a great director, so probably is a good movie, and I'll probably uh, check it out to give it more of an in depth look later on. Yeah. Next up, we have 2008s. Speed Racer, Alexander. Speed Racer. A young driver, Speed Racer aspires to be champion of the racing world with the help of his family and his high-tech Mach 5 automobile. Uh, now, uh, Matt, did you see this movie? I watched the most I've seen of this movie, as I remember at this time. Um, I remember, like, standing in, like, a Walmart or a Circuit City and watching it on a television that they were t- t- while they were sampling surround sound. Um, and from what I gathered from watching it for that, I got, like, a headache just watching it for, like, that five minutes. So I was like, yeah, this is probably something I don't need to see. And if I remember correctly, it came out, like, in IMAX 3D. Yeah. You know, I remember the, the lighting, you know, it was so crazy and... I'm surprised there wasn't people having seizures and fucking stroking out to that movie. Yeah, I mean, I did not see it. I saw the trailer. I mean, anyone who knows, it's based off of a um, cartoon back in the 80s, I think. Yeah, classic cartoon. 
I mean, even, it, it, even it, back it, then, I I don't think I ever watched any Speed Racer cartoons back then. I, I usually um, watch it for sure. And this was back when the Bachowskis were killing it. This was right at like I think maybe maybe yeah. This was right after I think the the trilogy of the Matrix was over. I don't I, for for some reason I thought that this was within the trilogy at some point, but I think the trilogy was over at this point. Yeah. This was a big fucking taking the wind out of their sails. I remember, yeah. and they followed this up. I think with Cloud Atlas, which was also like a big failure. Um. And those Matrix movies are cool. I remember there was a big conspiracy about them stealing the idea, which is funny. They paid off the person, so I think they did. <laughs> Don't tell the public. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing it, and I, I, I remember the visuals being kind of overwhelming. So I can understand why you kind of had a headache. Um, like I said, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the cartoon, and... I mean, definitely watching it, it was obviously, like, over-top, you know, special effects extravaganza. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, I wasn't too too keen on it. Um, well, I, I mean, actually, I mean, it's a perfect, it, a, cautionary, a cautionary tale hmm. for other summer blockbusters. 2008 Speed Racer failed to ever hit the gas. Which was surprising considering that the kid-friendly action movie came from the Wasaki brothers, whose Matrix franchise was a license to print money. Uh, but their adaptations of some, a uh, somewhat forgotten cartoon cost $120 million to make and recouped only $44 million domestically. While bad marketing and lukewarm reviews were also to blame, uh, for speed box office failures, the hyper-stylized movie has found a second life on DVD, where it has developed a healthy cult following. Now, that's the artists formerly known as the Wachowski brothers. They're now the Wachowski sisters. Now, on paper, Speed Racer sounded incredible. I remember I was, like, actually excited for this as it approached, because I did like the show. I watched the TV show. I even have a T-shirt kicking around here somewhere. Um, but yeah, and it was just nuts. And I think maybe the DVD it had a better life on DVD because that smaller screen. I think there's, there's you know, it's less seizure invoking uh, material being blasted at you. So I think that it's more, and it is very cartoony because it is a cartoon. I believe John Goodman. I want to say John Goodman was in it. Um, Emil Hirsch was kind of perfect for the dude as speed racer himself. I mean, he was kind of popping at that time. I think this was roughly yeah, Christina Ricci. I think time. also was in this. Who? Uh, Christina Ricci, you know, Wednesday. Yeah, we, me and Christina Ricci just broke up before this movie. Unfortunately. Oh man. So maybe that's why that. I hate it so much. Oh, I, mean, I, I don't hate that. it, but you know what I mean? Maybe it was just my broken heart. I it took me a couple minutes to get over Christina Ricci too. It was horrifying. It was a very yeah. dark couple minutes for me. She still she still texts to this day though. But don't tell her husband. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Actually, uh, she's uh, going to be in the next Matrix movie. Ricci is. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw. I read something that. Uh, she, uh, she's going to be uh, playing a character in the next Matrix movie. I didn't even know they were making another Matrix movie. This is the oh, Wachowskis, right? 
Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, they gotta find a way to make some more money, right? That's the thing. It's like, well, when you when 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 you when you can't make anything, and this is everybody, when you can't make something that the society wants to see anymore, you gotta go back to the well. You know what I mean? You gotta go back to like, well, not even the well. You gotta go back to what sold originally, what broke you. You know what I mean? Put you on, um, and that's where they're going. And I don't know if the matrix, I don't know if a new matrix movie would play as well. I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, Christina Ricci is the best, even though we broke up, I still love her. I think she's the yeah, shit. She's great. And, uh, is Keanu in the new one? Uh, I, right? I would assume so. I mean, I can't see them doing the matrix without Keanu. They're going to bring back Joe, Goonie Joe. Oh, what? Uh, Joe Pantoliano. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, it would be great, but I think uh, I think uh, as far as they're concerned, he's he, Cypher's long dead. It's the Matrix. You can always bring him back. Come on, now. I, I, I heard an interview with him, Pantoliano, recently where uh, he refuses to let us watch his daughter watch The Sopranos, and I don't blame him. Yeah, well, Speed, yeah, Speed Racer. You know, I think a lot of people. With it being such a big beloved thing, a lot of people had hate, but I think a lot of people were they were hating, but really hoping it was going to be great so they could rejoice. You know, fans do that a lot, unfortunately, especially cult fans. They hate, 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 and then when you wait, if you if you make them happy, they rejoice, and that's that. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, only forty four domestically out of one hundred twenty million. It was a lot big green screen movie. I believe the entire thing's green screen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was a horrendous uh, thing for him. Uh, and I bet they they had they had sequels planned to that and everything. I bet. Um, I remember the merchandise they pushed for it. The kid like the toys. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm very interested if there's a new one. I'm curious because. Uh, I enjoyed The Matrix for what it was as a whole. Next up, 2003, Gili! You know, the masterpiece, of course, from director Martin Brest, um, starring Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, uh, a.k.a. Ben Lo. What'd they call that group? Hmm? Affleck and J-Lo had a... Oh, yeah, um, uh... A name for oh, those. What was that? Jay uh, uh, Affleck. But where I are you yeah, nobody cares. Larry yeah, no one knows. No one really cares. They don't even care anymore, man. Yeah. Her big butts in the, in the picture and on the poster, though. That's all that needs to be there. Rest in peace to her big butt. Yeah. Um, Larry Lynch. Yeah. Geely is assigned to a crime boss to kidnap the brother of a prominent district attorney. A beautiful woman known only as Ricky is sent to stay with him to make sure he doesn't mess up the job. That sounds like it's a reboot, of course. It's come from a different... There, It was an older movie. I'm pretty it sure it was, at least. I didn't know that was based on anything other than... I thought it was, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I thought it was. Well, I gotta say, I mean, uh, the the saddest thing I have to say about uh, Jiggly was uh, the fact that uh, the director, um, uh, Martin Bress, uh, d- didn't seem to get out of that funk after the movie. 
I mean, he directed Son of a Woman, one of my favorite films. He, he directed Belly Hills Cop, the first one. That's another uh, favorite of mine. Midnight um, Run. Midnight, Midnight Run. Run. Rest in peace, Charles Grodin. But unfortunately, Jiggly, um, J-Lo, and uh, Ben Affleck just uh, uh, destroyed his career with that movie. See, well, I mean, it's a perfect example that you can have two actors in a relationship. It doesn't mean that they're going to make a great film together. Yeah, they're trying to catch that real-life love, supposedly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you remember during this time, uh, Ben Affleck and J-Lo was, like, all over the tabloids. Everyone was like, oh, my God, it's, it's you know, those two. And... Uh, yeah, it, it's. Yeah, I didn't see the movie, but I had no interest in seeing the movie because I was like, "Oh, what's the point? It's it's a movie to showcase that the two of them are." It's like, hey, you know, they're in a relationship, so there must be chemistry. I'm like, no, they're in a relationship, and there's no chemistry. Actually, yeah. supposedly they're getting back together from uh, something I saw on the tabloids. For another film or, like, as a relationship? I like, relationship-wise. If they try to do another film together, I'd be like, hey, you remember the last time you guys tried to do that? You destroyed a good director's career. It's like they're trying to be a, a power couple again, but I think they're a little too old to be power couples. The power couples are a little younger in the game nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, it cost $54 million, which is horrifying that any film about two people doing a romantic comedy, having conversations, should ever cost $54 fucking million, man. You should be able to make that for maybe five. You know, half of it went to Ben, half of it went to J-Lo. Probably. They're like, if you want us to put our love on the line like this, then we're going to have to be paid top dollar, man. Mr. Breast, and he's like, my name's Breast, but I'm not making my best film right now. <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm, t- I'm flushing my to- my fucking career down the toilet. Um, next up, 2005, Sahara, homie. Yeah. You know, stars Matthew McConaughey and Penelope Cruz, Steve Zahn, who was killing it at that time. You know what I mean? Um I'm, you know, Matthew McConaughey, Penelope Cruz, that's a kind of a couple I figured people would like to have seen. Maybe they were tapped out on Sahara-type movies, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, the thing is, I put uh, Sahara in the same category as Cutthroat Island, and the fact that it's it's a silly action-adventure uh, film. Yeah. Um, I liked it. I thought it was funny. I think it's definitely a Fun film to watch. I mean, I caught it on like TV one night, and I thought I thought it was fun. Um, I know the for director- whatever reason it didn't really uh, connect. I mean, yeah, it, I mean, I know the director also was some over the top kind of ludicrous. Yeah, I know that the director also directed that the Crazies reboot that was pretty good from the George A. Romero film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was a fun film. I thought Ma- Matthew McConaughey and Penelope uh, Cruz and Steve Zahn were great together. It was a uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a fun romp. 
I agree. Um, if I see, I mean, it's 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 a lot of times when you're doing like these adventure films, like um, you know, whether it's a pirate movie, whether it's you know, this is you know, of course, you know, more of um, Indiana Jones B movie like rip off kind of the deal. And in this in this situation, it's, it, it it didn't. It's not like it like. It didn't really. If you were to compare it to other, it's the if the budget wasn't so big, it wouldn't have been considered a failure because it made one hundred twenty million dollars at the box office. Just unfortunately, it took two hundred forty-one million dollars to make. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, it's definitely a film that I recommend people checking out. It's fun. I mean, it's it's a a uh, popcorn movie. Nothing more than that. Um. I think everyone was uh, was fun in that. I mean, Matthew McConaughey has his, you know, Mc- McConaughey charm. Which, yeah. You know, I mean, if you like him and you like Penelope Cruz and Steve Zahn, it's it's a fun movie to watch. I definitely say check it out. I mean, it's a shame that they spent so much money and and they didn't uh, recoup it. But yeah. Um. We're gonna pop up. We've been going for a little over an hour and a half. I'm gonna. We'll do one honorable mention, and then maybe we'll return for a part two episode on the same subject matter if you'd like. Uh, but I think we could cap this one off. Uh, honorable mention. I thought it'd be good to mention. They didn't mention it, but Heaven's Gate. Um, you know what I mean? Which is what I know to be one of the you know the biggest failures, if you will, of uh, financial failures, if you will. Or, I know the film had a lot of, you know, financial trouble from Michael Cimino, um, from like Deer Hunter fame and stuff. This had, you know, Chris Christopherson was in it, Christopher Walken, the man himself, John Hurt, Sam Waters, and Brad Dourif, our boy. Um, you know what I mean? Just on and on and on and on and on. Gigantically huge cast. Uh, the crew was huge. It's just one of those crazy, massive movies. Um and it just, I don't think it made a percentage of the money back that it wanted to, you know what I mean? Um, but Criterion Collection has released it, and it's not that bad of a film. It's a lot of movie. Um, and it's slow burny, you know, the same way, like, like, The Deer Hunter, I feel, is a very slow burn. Like, it's a good film, and there's moments that are really cool uh, and really great, you know what I mean? But... Uh, for the you know they're good payoff moments, but for the most part, it's very slow burn, and I feel that that Heaven's Gate is as well. You know what I mean? Um, and we want to rest in peace him because he passed away not too long ago too. Um, the director, you know, to Michael Cimino, uh, and he he was plagued kind of by the Heaven's Gate thing for the rest of his days. Um, it was such like a deal, and he had a lot going for him. You know what I mean? That he's one of those directors where you say, "Oh shit, yeah, that really kind of fucking put a little bit of a hurting on him." You know, not too heavy because he still got to work for years after it, but he never kind of achieved the acclaim of the Dare Hunter again. But then maybe uh, who's to say he didn't really approach a, another film like the Dare Hunter again? I don't think. So, uh, I think vibe-wise, it was just completely different. Um, the Sicilian, I want to rewatch though, with Totoro's in it, and Christopher Lambert, uh, Mario Puzo novel, so it's Godfather, from the Godfather universe. 
I'd like to see the spin on that. The Sicilian. I may never have seen that, but uh, I'm intrigued. But uh, yeah, the Deer Hunter, good flick. Very a little bit overrated, I'd say. There's moments that are incredible, but for the rest of it, it's just kind of like, you know, of course, the 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 scene of them doing the Russian roulette is one of the most iconic scenes I can think of at this moment in time. Um, are you familiar with the Day Hunter? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit I haven't seen it for, you know, a couple decades, but uh, yeah, I mean, definitely a great movie, well done. Um, has, you know, some of the best actors early in their career. Um, definitely it's a film I recommend anyone who uh, loves film to definitely watch and check it out. Yeah, I know that there was, I was reading something where they said a lot of it wasn't historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a comment that like, you know, like uh, Mad May comment about the Russian roulette scene. Well, that's a great and very, you know, uh, tense scene in the movie. Supposedly they didn't do that, that uh, during that time or oh, they shot it later no no i mean i mean during oh, the what? In real, right. yeah like where they were uh, uh, where they were and and it wasn't like a, a, a thing that uh, they would have done to they would have done other things of course but yeah. western roulette wasn't one of the things they were known to do yeah so um but like i said that's what i read in something whether it's True or not, that's that's up to you know those to to check out. Truth, I'm with it. So yeah, it's one of those deals, you know what I mean. Uh, but you know, some of the biggest flops of all time financially, you know, that was a good run. So uh, I guess maybe we'll catch y'all on another episode talking about this, a, a part two to this. We'll see how it goes. Um, but hell yeah, hell to the yeah. Alex, you want to say anything else about the, the, the these bit first batch of biggest movie flops? Um, just that um, whether a movie flop or not uh, should not stop you from checking it out. Because like I said, I mean, at least three movies on this list, I definitely recommend checking out. Um. And also, I mean, the fact is that, like I said, it could simply be the time it came out. It could be just uh, how it was marketed. I mean, sometimes, you know, they just don't know how to market and they market it wrong. And and then you go and you watch and you're like, uh, this isn't what I was expecting. I mean, perfect example, um, Silverado, a movie I love to death. Yeah. Okay. It was marketed as a comedy. Okay, the trailers focused on the very small scene of like John Cleese yeah. and a few of his, you know, more comic lines. <laughs> and I mean anyone who's seen Silverado it's a drama. It's a very drama, has great acting, great talent, and John Cleese is in it and he does make some comical or comic type uh, comments which are funny, but it's not a comedy. If you're going to watch Silverado to, you know, bust your gut laughing, you're definitely not going to do it. It's a fun uh, 
dramatic and well put together uh, a western. If you like westerns, check it out. I mean, like Thirteenth Warrior. I love that movie. I think it's a really good movie. Unfortunately, you know, it just didn't hit the audience. And I think the big thing is a lot of people just really didn't understand everything that was going in or really wanted to get into it. It is a slow burn. Mm -hmm. But when you realize how everything fits together and you have this, you know, fish out of the water story with Antonio Banderas who, you know, ends up kind of bonding with these Vikings... It's it's great. I definitely recommend checking it out. Right up. Yeah. Well, you heard him. You heard it here first. Don't stop if you hear it's a flop. Give it a shot. You know <laughs> what I mean. Yeah. And with that being said, we'll catch all you motherfuckers on the next episode of the What Hunk Boombastic Cast. You got it. Boom boom yeah. I didn't say that. Alexander Hawk threw my voice like a fucking animal. You're crazy. You're crazy. I didn't say that. Alexander Hawk threw my voice like a fucking animal. You're crazy. You're crazy. I didn't say that. Alexander Hawk threw my voice like a fucking animal. You're crazy. You're crazy. Into the real world, let the people see it for real to fit the character, but uh, he'll never do that again. He said, fuck society, they can't accept my lizard tongue for real. I'd rather cut off my dick. Well, I'm with you there, homie. <laughs>